thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the uh, Football Digest weekly podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got plenty to digest as well, actually. Champions League reaction. I wonder what sort of effect the Champions League results and uh, form will have on this week's Premier League results. Fantastic to have Champions League football back, isn't it, this week? Um, Man United, where do we go from here? Blimey, I've heard another former player saying this isn't a crisis. When does it become a crisis? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that and the Premier League preview. There's a certain North London derby on, on Sunday afternoon, quite apart from the Saturday night treat of uh, Manchester United's latest uh, dice with drama. But anyway, listen, joining me is Matt Dunn, um, uh, 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 looking a wise 5 or Magnum PI this morning. Very warm welcome to you, Matt. And Jeremy Cross and Chris McKenna. So, guys, uh, nice to have you with. Um, Jeremy, you, you watch a lot of Manchester United. I'm sure you... Yeah. You know, Onana, Harry Kane, 4-3, which looked a bit 4-1-ish to me. Um, where does this leave Eric Ten Hag? Pick the bones, please. Yeah, look, you know, you look at the score and you think it's a seven-goal thriller. It wasn't. It was the battering between Man United, really. You know, the scoreline flatters them so much. Um, the whole game changed when Onana let that goal go in. You know, I mean, it sort of summed up where they're at the minute, didn't it? You know, sloppy goalkeeping shouldn't should be doing much better than that, and that just gave Bayern the confidence to go on and build a lead. So, um, you know, they are back at the top table uh, this season, and they're dining with some great, great teams. And you know, they looked out of the depth last night. I know they've got a lot of injuries at the minute, Man United, but you know, it's gonna. I still expect them to get through the group. I mean, you know, I think we'll finish second in the group, but. That was a wet warning shot to United from the off last night. You know, this is this is the standard you need to be at, and they're so far off it at the minute. And where do you start with, you know, the problems Tenard's got to mount up by the day, by the looks of it. You know, injuries, players away from the club for various reasons. Um, it's a mess. Richard Arnold, the CEO, had a meeting early this week with all the staff trying to find out just what the heck was going on at the club and why they're in such a shambolic state. I just don't know where you'd where do you start with it? You know, it's um, it's really worrying for United at the minute. You know, I, I just it's going to be a long season. I just can't see them finishing in the top four, nowhere near. We're out of the title race already, and we've only played six games. So, you know, it's been it's been a really really disturbing start for United. Yeah, it really has. Yeah, Chris, what do you where do United go from here? Because it feels like a lot of fans will be going. Hang on a minute, we got rid of David De Gea, who was rubbish with his feet. For Onana, who, you know, it's a lot of money to to do to kind of swap one for the other. That's a forty five million pound upgrade, at least. And then and, and then basically Onana, I don't know what you think, but I'm not sure that he's he's short passing out from the back. He's all that, and he's obviously prone to gaffes. I mean, he is. I don't know whether he's trying to make a big impression with kind of you know sort of kind of crazy reckless decisions. But you know he's certainly doing he's certainly doing that, isn't he? Really? But is Onana a mistake? Bearing in mind they had such limited funds in the summer, I think it's a bit. A bit look, you, you're very concerning if you're looking at it from a Manchester United point of view. Wim, if you said they've spent a lot of money on him, 
They brought him in as somebody who can play out with his feet, and he hasn't really been great with his feet, I have to admit, so far. But I think I think when they're in this era, like we're making decisions on players straight away, and I think it's 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 a bit mad. Like he may end up being a failure and a flop, and you know you can't really afford that. As you said, they had a limited budget. If you get this one wrong, it's a massive, massive mistake. But it's six games into the season. They're playing without their first-choice right centre-back. They're playing without the first two-choice left-backs. And now their first-choice right-back. So how is a keeper supposed to suppose get used to that when there's so much chopping and changing around at the back? The defence are being played through so easily. The midfield's being played through so easily. Do I think he's a great goalkeeper? Certainly not on the evidence so far. And you, you have to be worried for him. But I also think we're now... At a stage where are we just judging players on on that because people are now going oh they should never have got rid of David de Gea but David de Gea still hasn't got a football club Real Madrid were in desperate need for a keeper and instead of going for David de Gea they went and raided Chelsea for one Bayern Munich were looking for a keeper they didn't come calling for him so the whole oh maybe they should have kept David de Gea thing is wrong have they got the wrong keeper on Anna at the minute it looks like they might have but. It's also six games in. Um, I think last night was the big, big mistake he's made. The Forest game, I thought he was poor in that. Brighton game, I don't really think he could have done a lot with them. The Arsenal one as well. Arsenal game as well. Maybe the Royce won the deflection, but I think we're being a bit harsh there. I think it's too early to judge him. There's definitely warning signs there that he's maybe not as good as he's been made out to be. Um, but... I think, well, they've got no other choice. They have to stick with him. They've paid over 40 million quid for him. Um, so let's see how he is in, in 10, 15, 20 games. I think that's when you can start making proper decisions on It's worth pointing out, isn't it, that basically his stats last season in, in the Champions League and then obviously pure, you know, obviously one of the reasons Man United signed him were, were outstanding and he did reach the final and he, and, and he had some sensational games it, it, it within that, you know, but it just feels strange at the moment with, with United. Matt, do you think that the, um, you know, do you think that they can, uh, are they still a top five team, do you think, you know, because we've got to get into the habit of speaking top five to get the Champions League? Uh, still. I mean, uh, they, they, they've not been an established top five team for a long time, you know, it, you know since Smoggy left. You know, they've, they've dipped in and out of that 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 sort of group. And, and it comes back to... The manager again. He's a great man. United managers should be judged by their ability to win the title. That's what the club's about. I've said this before. These um, Ten Hag managed. You know, United dipped so low that the Ajax qualities of being able to bolt together a team, get a bit of team spirit going, play some football were enough to get people excited at United. But this is the acid test this season. You know, he's got to be challenging for titles. And if he's not a good enough manager to put together a team to do that, yes, they've had problems with injuries, all the rest of it. But there's just nothing flowing through that that, that team that makes them feel like title challengers. So, you know, we shouldn't be asking, are United a top five team? That's the wrong question for a Manchester United. They've got to get into that mentality that, that they should be challenging for titles. And it goes right the way to the top, unfortunately, with the owners, who the, the whole club is being run badly at the moment. Uh, and for a, the, the biggest club in the world, you know, as they claim to be, and as they possibly are in terms of their infrastructure and their their sort of corporate appeal, 
Yeah, if you can't compete for the Premier League title, then they're getting something fundamentally wrong. Uh, and, you know, it's the wrong question completely. And, and the sooner the United get out of that mentality uh, and as a group start to believe that they are one of the biggest clubs in the world again, then, then that's, that's what they need to do before they start being taken seriously again. Blimey, I'll try not to ask the wrong question at the jury. You see a lot of Ten Hag, and basically, how do you think that he's handling this? I mean, he's never the most <laughs> bright and effervescent character anyway, but it feels like to me, as, as you know, uh, as someone who's you know seen them a couple of times in sort of press conferences, season and games or whatever, and then basically, it. it isn't I don't I don't think, and I might be reading this wrong, so you correct me. But basically, I don't think he, he doesn't look very happy. You really, you know, he's never, as I say, but he, it feels like he's he's been quite affected by it. You'd expect him to be affected by it, but basically, I guess the art of management is to kind of take that away from your players, isn't it? How's he handling it? Yeah, look, he's he's not the happiest guy naturally. At the best of times, he's got that sort of air of a school teacher, headmaster type guy you know, rules with a rod of iron and all that. And, you know, he's had to make some big decisions on players um, since he came in. The, I think the thing with Tanagi is he, he looks this season like he's been hit by a bus to me. He just stands on the touchline and looks bewildered by it all. And that's what United does to managers sometimes. You know, it, it just engulfs them. That's that's the problem with United. They're such a big machine. You know, when, when, when a problem arises, it's generally a big one and gets blown up. And he's had several of those this season, not just one, but several. And we're only, you know, two months into the season. So he made such good progress last season. They won a trophy, they finished in the top four, and he was expected to build on that. I'm not saying they were going to push for the title this season, but, you know, they got the transfer business done early. But he looks like someone who's about to crack up to me. You know, the pressure's mounting on him. I'm not suggesting for one minute that they're going to think about getting rid of him. They wouldn't do that, but... You know, he's now experienced what life can be like as a Manchester United manager. And it's when you're in this position, it's a it's a horrible place to be because he's he just doesn't know which way to turn really for for help. And I think he look he, he's probably he's had more than a year there now, so he probably realizes that actually I'm working for a club that, like Matt, Matt said, is he's run horrifically badly from top to bottom, um, and that ultimately will reflect on him because it, it all drifts into the team and the performance on the pitch. So. I don't know what to suggest what he can do. I really, I'm at a loss as to how he can turn things around, you know, because the players, the big name players aren't playing for him as well. So he, he's really run out, of, run out of options. Yeah, Chris, Chris, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you before, but I was I was just wanting, wanting to just explore about what, what kind of effect you feel that the, you know, the ongoing ownership battle, the Glazers still being in situ, has on the club. I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer that everything filters down from 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 the top, and it's a state of flux, isn't it? We, we feel like we're in a you know wh- where's it going? You know, the kind of the Jim Ratcliffe PR campaign spin campaign is you know still in full effect, trying to reduce the price. You know, but do do, do United fans want you know sort of a Middle East owner as well? And you know where where would that sit with them? What about the Glazers? I mean, it all plays into this. State of uncertainty, doesn't it? Yeah, the whole summer was was just basically 
they didn't know the really they, they got some business done early they didn't really know the budget they were juggling ffp stuff because of bad mismanagement in the past and they ten Hag doesn't and the, the whole staff at the club not just the manager the coaching staff the the staff that work in marketing nobody knows who's going to be in control of this club where's the long-term future of this club where's the aim if it's going to be Qatari ownership that's going to be very different to Ineos if it's going to still be the Glazers where's the long so the whole club is this in this kind of limbo and ten Hag's trying to manage all of this and he is rightly getting criticism now, but I also think people have to look at him and go, well, what he achieved last season, I think, was even better than maybe he is on paper, given it was chaos as well last season. He had so much to deal with off the pitch as well. And I always remember that um, towards the end of the Ralph Rangnick reign, now obviously Rangnick ended up being a pretty shoddy manager for United, but when they got hammered at Anfield 4-0, he sat in the press room that night and he said, it's going to take six years to get this run. And I, my kind of ears pricked up because I was like, six years? And I asked him that night, I said, Man United managers don't get six years. So what, what are you saying? And his answer was basically, why not? Because this is what it needs. They need to stick with what they're doing for at least two, three years if they're going to give it, if they're going to go this way because... They've had the, the David Moyes where they panicked and they sacked him and it wasn't good enough. And if you look back at that time, it was the right decision in the moment. They got rid of him. Then they get Van Gaal. The football ends up turning, turning dire as soon as they miss out in the Champions League. As soon as Klopp arrives at Liverpool and Guardiola's at City, the club wants a glamour manager. So they go for Jose Mourinho. Starts well. Everything seems going great. And then Jose becomes Jose and it's all a massive car crash. Then we have the old boy Solskjaer years. And it's just veering from one. And this is because of the mismanagement of the club from the top. But now they've, they've tried to go with a manager who builds a project. And Matt's right in certain ways. He says, yes, Manchester United should be fighting for the title. The Manchester United over the last 10 years don't deserve to be fighting for the title. They have to rebuild. They have to do what Arsenal have done. They have to give a manager time and then make a decision. Now, are you saying... Am I definitely saying that in two years, Ten Hag will have turned it around? Maybe not. It could be a massive success, but they've wasted 10 years changing managers. They need to now give the manager some time. But because the club is in such badly, badly run and they react so badly to stuff, I think if the results keep going the way they're going, they'll just sack them because the noise on social media means more to them than the actual looking at a bigger project. I'd rather doing what Arsenal did when Arteta struggled at the start and going, Let's let's just let's see how this goes. We've tried the Emery, that didn't work. Let's see how this guy goes. That's what United should do. But because they're run by such, so badly, they will panic in the next few weeks if the results keep going, and they'll go out to try and sign another big name manager, and the whole cycle will start again. And that's all down to bad ownership, bad management, the wrong people being in the wrong jobs from top to bottom. The thing is, Crossy, if you're Richard Arnold, the CEO, and you, and you get to Christmas and it's you're in the bottom half of the table, you think, right, we're going to have to make a change. Where do you turn? Who do you, who do you look at bringing in? Because, you know, look, you, you look on the, on the face of it, Brighton's manager, Zebri, would probably be a good fit. You know, the way sort of football he's playing at Brighton and the job he's done there. If you're him, would you really want to go to Man United? I can't believe I'm saying this, but they are no longer an attractive proposition for a, a would-be manager. 
just like they're not attractive proposition for the top players now. They tried to sign Kane in the summer. He went to buy Munich. He wanted to sign Rice. He chose Arsenal. You know, United used to be that club what, that, that were the ultimate club to join, and they're, they're way off that now. It's like a vicious circle because the ownership's so bad. You know, the results are poor. The top players don't want to go there anymore. If you were a manager out of work or, or being poached to, to go to the Manchester United job in, in December, for example, would you really want to go? It's like trying to stop the Titanic from sinking. Even if you put Deserby in there, I don't think he'd be able to work in it. As good as a manager he is, Everton works at Brighton and he's gone in there as a very good manager and a very good coach. And if he goes to Man City next, he will be brilliant there. If he went to Manchester United, I wouldn't guarantee he would be able to do what he does at Brighton at Man United because of the shambles of the football club. Don't get me started on Brighton, otherwise I'll be writing a love letter before you know it because they're the epitome of a well-run club, Man United are the epitome of the complete opposite, aren't they, really? And I take it you take it on board, really, because I think if you're a manager or a player, as glamorous as United is, you know, it's that, it's that fear that they could burn your reputation, frankly, very, very quickly and destroy it. Um, Matt, let's move on to, because um, you and I were both, I mean, we were sat together, weren't we? What a wonderful it was, you know. Emirates, yeah, lovely. And... Um, to watch Arsenal destroy a very, very poor PSV team. Well, I mean, PSV might be a better team, but actually they came to play and made a very naive, high defensive line, which was was music to Arsenal's ears, along with the Champions League anthem back at the Emirates for the first time in seven years. Um, but then also, I mean, a great talking point before and after the goalkeepers. Who, who starts on, on Sunday? Is it right? Can you do it? Can you rotate? Should there be a clear number one? Every goalkeeper or former goalkeeper I speak to says absolutely goalkeeper's a unique position. But basically, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Blimey, I say you ask the wrong questions, John. Now you've just asked me about five. I think he starts with Rare on Sunday. I think that was the point of blooding him uh, last weekend. I don't see any point going back. He didn't go back last year. If Ramsdale wants to see the writing on the wall. Just look at what he did to, to Leno the season before. Um, it's exactly the same scenario. Arteta, for whatever reason, has decided that Rea is the guy he wants uh, as the back four. It was interesting. I was watching him last night. He didn't have a great deal to do. Did what he had to do handling-wise well enough. Wasn't completely competent distribution-wise. But plays just that little bit further up the field um, than... Um, than Ramsdale does. And I think that's part of the way Arteta wants his game gameplay to look. Uh, so I think for that reason alone, he's going to get the nod. I, I think it's a bit of a diversion, this we've got two number ones. Um, I don't. Th- I think he's, he's the same. You know, he's a number one until he drops a brick or whatever, or Arteta loses faith. The same as at any club that have got vaguely competent goalkeepers. You know, we look at, you know, Courtois when he first came in against Patrick Jack at Chelsea. You know, it's the same. It's a transitional thing. Um, you know, he didn't make a, a mistake. I mean, I was looking back, the last title winners to have sort of a goalkeeping issue, you have to go all the way back to Mark Bosnich at Manchester United in 2000. Otherwise, every goalkeeper's played, every main goalkeeper's played all bar uh, 
10 games. So he's effectively been a steady number one. And you look at the list of these goalkeepers, you know, Alison Edison, Schmeichel, they're, they're kind of the players that won the title for the for the club. Uh, so you don't do it by mixed goalkeepers, whatever Arteta says. Um, and I don't think he will do. I think Raya will be there pretty much every game this season, which is a worry for Ramsdale in Euro's year. But, you know, he did exactly the same to Leno uh, two years ago. And, and, and he must have known that that's what Arteta's capable of doing. And then he's naive to think otherwise. Cross how far do you think Arsenal will go in the Champions League this season? We've certainly got, certainly got a lot of um, fantastic attacking talent. Uh, the the left back worries me a little bit. I'm not sure that he, how great he is defensively. Timber's a big blow. Um, and they basically they've got to find that that the, the missing, you know, sort of link in midfield really because you know Rice is is playing brilliantly. Um, that Havertz the Havertz puzzle. I think they're fantastic going forward. Um, Odegaard, honestly, Pep Guardiola will come on to City in a second. Pep Guardiola was right in my view to say Rodri is the best of his type in Europe right now. I wonder how far Odegaard is off of that conversation. You know, I mean, that's you, you watch you watch Jude Bellingham and revel in that success. By the way, a few of us were sort of stood around watching it. I was watching as he was a former Arsenal player, and basically, when when Bellingham we were watching that just finished before we went upstairs to the press um, uh, box at Arsenal. Oh, everyone's off their feet. We're all, you know, we're jumping because basically Be- Bellingham's the best, you know, the best feel-good story of the season in my view. And we're reveling in the fact that he's doing so brilliantly and it's just brilliant to see his celebrations, the way Madrid fans embrace him. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, you know, it's a great... Anyway, I digress, but I do, you know, so they, they come into your thinking, don't they, as potential winners always, no matter what state the squad is in. And I just feel that if Arsenal got stuck at the last 16 stage for about 20 years, um, but then basically, you know, I think, I don't know, I, don't, I certainly, certainly don't see them as, as as potential winners this year. Arteta was saying that basically, you know, you've got to aim high. I don't think they're in that category yet, but it's a really good learning process because so many of them haven't played in the Champions League before. City, um, you know, I mean, they've got injury problems, haven't they? They've had a little mini rebuild. Do you see Jeremy as the, as, as them being the favourites? Yeah, I think it helps them a lot. You know, um, they finally got over the line and won it. It lifts that bit of pressure, that sort of, you know, they reached the holy grail. Um, it took them too long to do it, given how much money they've spent down the years, but they finally made it. And we actually said to Guardiola um, prior to that game against Red Star on Tuesday night, he said, one, one, one's nowhere near enough. You know, I want to I win multiple times. I want to build a European dynasty. Um, and he's right, you know, um, that team should be winning it again this year. They'd have the biggest squad, City, when you look at, look at it on paper compared to um, other, other clubs, but... It's just the quality they've got. All those players, it's, you know, it's, it's such a great squad. Um, and yeah, they're missing De Bruyne, obviously. They're missing John Stones. Kovacic is out injured at the minute. But <laughs> you were there on Tuesday night and they just absolutely ripped, ripped into Red Star from, from minute one. And, you know, they had 20-odd shots on goal, at goal. Didn't get the goal, went behind, never panicked. You know, I don't think Guardiola will have been feeling the paint off the walls at half time. He'll just sit, carry on doing what you're doing. 
And that's what they do. They wear teams down. The nerve they a different league to Red Star, and I fully expect them to cruise through the group. And you know, look, Real Madrid are looking good, aren't they? We talked about Bellingham. They look they look a good side this season. So I can't look beyond those two really when it comes to finding a winner. It's going to be a different. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be it'll be interesting. I guess Chris, you know, finally on the sort of the Champions League. I mean, Harry Kane. Does you know? Does last night and nights like this, as Jeremy sort of referenced there, basically sort of kind of justify, not justify, but show, prove him right that uh, basically he was right to do to do that, and also strengthen his position as England captain, as England's main goal scorer. I know you're all about the England team, Chris. So you know the Irishman, yes, of course. Um, yeah, well, look, that was it's a big night. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, when Kane's walking out at the the Allianz and it's Manchester United and. That the night I actually didn't think Bayern would really like wowed me like watching that game. I didn't look at them and go, they, they can go at City. They're like, but they'd had a few really good individual performances. Sane and uh, Musiala, who, who looks an unbelievable player. Um, but yeah, that's the big night for Kane. That's this is what he wants to be in. And you know, I'm sure there's still obviously people looking at Tottenham and going, oh, look, they've started really well. Maybe he could have, should have stayed there. No, this is his chance. And they can, they'll, they'll obviously top the group quite easily. Um, they'll go to the quarters, semis, and then it's kind of anybody's then, isn't it? It's, it's, it's who shows up in those two legged games. Um, and I certainly think they've got, they've got an attack that can, can trouble a lot of the teams. They, they probably had another gear to go through last night. If you're not, it had a, had have really pushed them if that penalty didn't come when it came and it got a bit tighter, then maybe, yeah, I think Bayern would have found another gear to, to, to go on and win the game anyway. So they, they look like they've got a lot there and, and this is this is it. As Kane's been asked about four or five times now, it looks like it's a script for him, isn't it? The first final. he's uh, First time he's back in the Champions League with another team and the final's back in London where he plays so often for England. So it seems written for him, but... Uh, yeah, as as Jeremy said, City and Real as well look look like top two for me. It's still really weird seeing Kane in a different club shirt, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, very strange. Although I have to say, the Munich shirt, you know, is an absolute beaut. Both 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 sort of home and away, and it's just yeah, yeah. It looks it looks. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit of a shirt nerd. It um it it appeals, but there you go. Anyway, but um guys, guys, let's you, you know also just sort of kind of reference Newcastle, um Matt, because um you know Newcastle they're they're returned to Europe's elite this week. They're you know do you put that down as a good result in the context of their season? They've had a little bit of a stop start start, haven't they, to to the campaign? Does that boost confidence for for the forthcoming you going to and and sort of kind of. Or ease pressure, but basically, you know, lift the mood. Yeah, draw against Milan away. That's that's a proper European result, isn't it? I mean, they're they're playing proper Champions League football, not like Arsenal with their Lens and Seville and, and PSV. This is you know Dortmund. This is Milan. You know, it's PSG. That that's Champions League football. They've got a hell of a group that they've they've been handed, uh, and I think they'll embrace it. It's I know you you love it when I recall my days glory days with Leeds United in Europe but it's the same sort of group that they were handed uh, back when they got to the semi-finals you know they played against Milan they played against you know Besiktas and uh, and Barcelona and got out of that group Newcastle could could do some damage 
they could upset a few people just by nicking results, not necessarily being the best team in the group, but just getting the results they need. And, and a draw there, that, that's, that's that could come back to bite Milan, and, and they would expect to get from out or hope to get out of that group. Uh, you know, it's a tough group to get out of, but but that could have ended their Champions League already. Um, it's that tight, that group, that... It's brilliant. It's, it's what the Champions League needs to be about. Just, you know, no artificially put teams together, just throwing four teams together, all with their own reputations, and let them get on with it. And uh, and that, that is a fantastic group. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I don't know, social media, when Newcastle in Europe this week, because there was nothing on my timeline about travelling to Milan or anything, you know, barely a mention on my social media timeline. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, no, they're they're loving it, and they need could left their season. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, Matt. They kept it very quiet. Actually, it's, it's, you know, didn't want to go on about it or kind of you know give the give the impression that a, 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 a load of northeast based journalists had gone on a sightseeing trip to Milan. But um, but there you go. Moving on, um, uh, uh, I must say, I must say, did slightly make me chuckle. This sort of this story was about this sort of the um, uh, the, the Newcastle contingent and press conference was about two hours late. Well, try covering England, lads. I'll try covering routine routine Champions League trip because it happens every time. <laughs> anyway, it was a welcome back. It's a nice to have you back. Um, but anyway, but um, uh, uh, let, let's move on to the um, Premier League. Uh, resumption of fixtures this weekend and a really good week. Well, that's a really good weekend. I mean, I tell you what, I did think, um, Matt. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to make you work for you for, for, for your call here, but basically, I'll come back to you. I did like that Spurs supporters forum. I thought that if you're a Spurs fan watching that, I thought it was great to hear direct from, you know, Daniel Levy. Probably changes a perception or two. Is a is a lesson is a lesson to other clubs. I mean, you might disagree, but a lesson to other clubs. They're basically doing more often. It's reminded I love Postacoglu. Love Postacoglu, you know, as well. Oh, you see, Pervy, yeah, those fans forums, definitely Levy should speak to the fans every six years, whether he needs to or not. You know, that, I mean, let's just put it into context. This is a man who hides away until there's a buzz about the club again and then speaks to the fans. You know, he said, you know, six, six years since that last forum that they did um, when Pochettino, and they, funny enough, they were on the, you know, involved in Champions League finals at that time, and he and he stuck his head above the parapet. Um, let's not get carried away about it all being one big loved up club. Um, but what I have to say is Postacoglu's energy and his joy, and I love the fact that um, the interview after you know, uh, Spurs TV interviewed him on the pitch um, after the game last week and said, "Are you worried about fans getting overexcited now and um, building the club up too much?" And he, he said, no, no, let them get excited. You know, crikey, they've suffered enough. If they can't enjoy what we're doing at the moment, then something wrong. He said, we'll deal with that, all the expectation. You know, they, they should be enjoying themselves. And I think that's the sort of spirit everyone wants about their club. They want to enjoy the successes. Goodness knows they, they seem to revel in some of the, the misery sometimes. Uh, and yeah, it's, he's been a breath of fresh air. It's what Spurs have desperately been needing all the time that, Levy's been appointing his trophy managers um, for all the wrong reasons. You know, 
yeah, he's finally fallen upon the right decision. In the same way as he got it, I mean, he doesn't get many. He's goodness knows he's appointed a few managers in his time. You know, he's not got that many right. To be fair, he's got Pochettino right, and he and he's and he's got this one right so far. So, uh, so yeah, no wonder he's reveling in it a little bit. But yeah, he is a breath of fresh air. Um, Chris, Liverpool, West Ham, uh, West Ham, West Ham have made a nice start, haven't they? Actually, but this. De- this Thursday Sunday uh, routine for Liverpool is obviously going to be a very commonplace thing. Why do we find that as, as clubs, as, as journalists and stuff, such a baffling prospect? When basically, if you're in the Champions League, Wednesday to Saturday is just it's the same. But basically, the Europa League seems to destroy team season after season after season. So, is it going to be difficult for? Is it going to be different? I should say for um, Klopp. Yeah, and it is weird because the Europa League as well, a lot of teams rest players as well. So in the Champions League, you obviously can't rest players unless you've got City's strength and depth and the, the group they have. But like Arsenal and Man United and, uh, won't be able to rest players in the Champions League this year because they desperately need to get out of their group. So Liverpool can afford to rest players in the Europa League looking at the group they have and maybe their ambitions. And I think Klopp will, will want to win it. I think he will try and navigate himself out of the group with mixing and matching it up and then see how they can go in the knockout stages and probably see where they are in the league as well because get, winning the Europa League could be a path to the Champions League. Um, so there's that. But yeah, the Thursday, Sunday thing, it doesn't seems like it's become a big mental thing more than anything else because, as you say, why is it so different from Wednesday, Saturday? Is it the level of opposition you're playing? And is it, is it maybe the rotating that doesn't help because you're taking the momentum away? So you go and playing well on the weekend with your full strength team, then bringing in a few younger players on the Thursday, not playing as well. And then a few of the senior players that did play in that game, maybe their confidence is hit. I don't know. It doesn't make any real sense. Um, unless some footballers just don't really like playing Thursday nights for some reason. I don't get it, but... Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense um, when you look at it. And there hasn't been any evidence presented, as far as I'm aware, by all these sports scientists that we now have in the game who know that know this stuff inside out, that it makes it any different. So maybe extra travelling, because some of the trips are a bit stranger, but they're on a private jet all the time. It's not like they're doing what <laughs> what we sometimes have to do as media to go to some of these far-flung places and get two, two flights or whatever. They're getting on a private plane, so it's two two to four hours most of the time. So it baffles me, but it is what it is for Liverpool, and that's a different challenge for them this year. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I'll, I'll throw one slightly left field at you, Jeremy. Chelsea, Maurizio Pochettino, the darling of this pod, the, the undisputed media king. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> watch, watch out, Maurizio. Oh, listen, we knew it was going to be tough, right? But then you lose at home to you, you know lose at home to Forest. You, you you struggle to kind of even put an attack together. At pretty pretty turgid. What's is are there signs of of improvement? And do they need a striker? And what else is wrong basically? Well, they definitely need a striker. They own a striker, but he's on loan everywhere else. So uh, I find that absolutely bizarre. What they spent? What did they spend in the last window? Four hundred million quid. And the, 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 I was looking at the stats. In the last 14 seasons of Chelsea, a striker has only finished top scorer four times in 14 seasons. So he'd been a midfielder, like going back to Lampard, obviously. But 
I mean, look, you'd have to be a rocket scientist to work out, do you? Man City signed Hale Harland last summer. They went on and won a treble. They won the Champions League. I know he's an exception to the rule because he's an amazing goal scorer, but all the top teams have a 30-goal-a-season striker and they don't have a striker. So I just find it odd. I mean, they're not scored in the last two games. They were booed off at Bournemouth. And I think Pochettino actually said, you know, we lack that cutting edge in attack. I mean, they've got more wingers than you can shake a stick at. It's unbelievable. I think he's got that much of a, how do you, what's the word? The squad is so imbalanced that even the brightest managerial mind would struggle to work out what his best starting level is from that, that group of players. So, yeah, you normally get a bounce, don't you, when you get a new manager? And it's just not happened for Pochettino. And you just think, how long has he got left? I mean, Bowley's just didn't mess about, does he, when he decides he wants to change the manager? Just look what's happened in the last 12 months. So, listen, I want him to succeed, Pochettino, but. I think he's taken a big challenge there. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to work out well for him. No, it is interesting. I mean, I must point out that they, they do have a couple of strikes. Whether you, you know, one, one, yeah, one's injured and one's not quite, but they're basically, let, let's see. But I'm not sure that either either fit into the number nine category. And I wonder whether Arnold and Tony might be getting a call in January, but I'm sure there'll be a few clubs interested. But but it's interesting, isn't it, uh, uh, Matt, in that basically you and I have both been present when Pochettino has said uh, uh, transition isn't Chelsea, basically. We've got to be up there challenging. And he's set the standard. And at the moment, those ex- expectation levels are sky high. And I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that he's, you know, his team isn't reaching those at the moment. Well, I mean, that's the problem. The expectation is high. You can't. They're the billion dollars, a billion pound squad. You know, when, when he used to go to PSV, and all he had was you know Mbappe, Messi, Ney, you know Neymar, that sort of player. You walk out Cobham and look at your billion pound squad, and you've got nothing. I mean, that's the embarrassment for the club, and it is a, a fault of Bowley and the way they've gone about things. They've got rid of, they've stripped the club of any leaders. They've brought in all this youth that is untested at the Premier League level. Um, they've spent two hundred million on attacking players since they've arrived. And I did a piece um, just on on young, sorry, on attacking players under the age of twenty three, and they've scored between them half the number of Premier League goals that Callum Hudson Odoi had scored, who they let go for three million pounds. So I mean, it's just. They're not, they're not Premier League ready. And Pochettino's got to get them Premier League ready, and it's taking a lot longer than anyone has got the patience for. What I would say is defensively, they've had a couple of clean sheets, which Potter didn't seem to be able to achieve uh, there. Um, so he's kind of getting the, the basics. But you can't go to Chelsea with a billion pounds squad and say, oh, well, at least I'm keeping it tight at the back. You've got to add something up front. And it is difficult because, you know, none of the players – are in the right shape. None of them in the in the right position uh, to lock together. They're, they're chopping and changing. All the injuries mean that no one knows who's making what run where. Uh, and yeah, it, it, all these reasons. But somehow Pochettino's got to make it work because it's a billion pounds, and uh, you can't you know fail with that amount of talent. You've got to get it to work, and it is a tough ask. He's the the moment at the moment is they haven't got any height in the team at the moment as well as all the other things that seem to be going wrong for them. Um, all their tall players are injured and they've, I mean, even Kaya Abbott's at six foot three, had that going for him. Um, so, you know, it just seems at the moment that it's excuse after excuse. Somehow he's got to make it work and this is a real test of him as a manager, much as we all love him as a man manager. 
tactically, he's got to find some way of knitting that squad together and do it very quickly. They're not in Europe either, crossing this season, which is a big boost. I mean, it's obviously they want to be in Europe, but they're not. So, you know, he has to use that to his advantage. They've got a free run at domestic football. So, you know, they don't have the extra travelling, the demands, the injuries. Yeah, absolutely. The same for Tottenham, isn't it? You know, so, um, you know, that, that, that both would want to be in, in Europe, but actually it does, you know, it does present them with this opportunity of, of, of putting a run together and, and, and a, a big build up, you know, during, during the week, blimey, they're even out of the Carabao Cup, aren't they? Which is bizarre, Spurs. But anyway, but, um, but for, for, you know, for Chelsea, I do, I do think that's a story that we're going to, He's not going to go away quickly, I have to say, and what a test it is for Pochettino. The other one, I just want to finish on, on, on guys, Luton Wolves. Now, it, sees, it says here, Hatter's the only team pointless, um, which I think is a pretty harsh description of uh, Rob Edwards' um, team. Chris, what do you think? Uh, but basically, I don't know. Do they need to get something from, from this game? Are you going to be a bit kinder to Luton and Luton fairy tale story than than Garth Crooks was, and it obviously clearly wound up the, the, the Luton management hierarchy last week. Yeah, I mean, look, they've had a tough start. I mean, Brighton, I think, Chelsea, um, away at West Ham, who obviously had a good start to the season. They've had one of their home games was supposed to be Burnley, but that had to be moved because the ground wasn't ready. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough for them, and... How how he, he, you struggle to see how they, they'll get any kind of momentum because it's one game they may have a chance of winning and if they don't win it then it's doom and gloom and then the next week they're going into a game that they've got simply no chance in. So Wolves are a, Wolves are a funny team. So they've been they, they were brilliant at Old Trafford and should have got something. They they were brilliant in the first half against Liverpool and only for the keeper doing something absolutely totally bizarre at one one in that game that would have ended up very different. I know Liverpool had got on top of that stage, um, but still. So Wolves, Wolves are a good side. They just can't seem to score. Um, so I think this is going to be another tough afternoon for, for Luton. But looking ahead then, they've got Exeter in the cup. Uh, Everton away, that's going to be massive because they're, they're in, in real bother as well. So that one will be tough. And then, then I think they have the Burnley game. And then again, you're going into Tottenham, which obviously they're not going to get much from. So those those are the kind of games where you can really judge Luton is the the Everton's and the Burnleys rather than I even think I think the Wolves might be just a bit too good for them. Jeremy, I'm going to nail you here with a really horrible question to finish on. Who's the three to go down at the end of the season? I think it'll be Luton, Burnley, and Everton. I think that I think Sean Dyche has so much credit in the bank from keeping them up last season. Which I don't think we realised probably at the time just what a, what an achievement that was. I'm not sure with with new ownership coming in, results looking terrible, and not being able to score or even have a shot basically in a month of Sundays. It's like wow, um, yeah. I think Sean Dyche. I'm not sure it's um, I'm not sure it's going to end well for him. But uh, you, you know what? I reckon they'll send for another manager, he'll come in, have a nightmare, and they'll go back to Sean Dyche because that's what Sean Dyche does, isn't it, really? But, he, he, you know, he manages clubs in a very in difficult positions and gets the best out of them, but it's going to be a hard one. Anyway, on that 
bitter note. Sorry, we're going to finish. And it's nice to see you all. Thanks so much for everyone for joining. And uh, see you same time, same place next week.